Guess what book we're going to be in today? I can't hear any of you because you don't have a microphone and I do. So we're going to be in Proverbs once again. And if you didn't know, we're doing a series on Proverbs, in case you're wondering. And we have been in this book for about four months, I think, a long time. And uh, we've got about another month and a half to go. But if you ever, anyone here ever thought that the Bible doesn't relate to real life? Ever had that thought cross your mind? If you're, if you haven't raised, if you're not raising your hand, you're probably lying because everyone's had that thought at some point. But if you look at Proverbs, it is one of the books that is the most, probably if not the most practical book in the whole Bible. Um, as I'm reading through it just in my own time right now, um, as we go through the series, I'm looking at verses going, that's a great, that's a great verse. That's a great verse. That's a great verse. And so we're kind of looking at this series, and each day we're kind of picking a topic that um, we're trying to tie several passages together that are on a specific topic. So um, as we start each week, I have you guys read uh, this one verse at the beginning of the book. So turn with me, if you will, to the screen. And we'll, we'll say it together, as we always do, uh, because I like to control people. So uh, we'll go ahead and do that. So let's start. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we've been trying to hit home this concept that if you look at Proverbs as just a behavior manual or a do this and don't do this kind of book, you're going to totally miss the point of Proverbs. Because the point all ties back into the sphere of God. If you don't have a fear of God, then it's not going to matter what your behavior is because your heart's going to be far from him. So you've got to have this idea at the center of everything we talk about on Sunday morning. So today we're talking about a topic that I am really excited to talk to you about. In fact, so excited my voice might crack in a few moments. And, uh, and this is the topic of, of God's will. And how do you know God's will? How do you discern God's will? Have you ever had this thought? I mean, everyone knows that God's sovereign. That means God's ultimately in control of everything. That's the word for when I say sovereign. That's what I mean by that, is that God's reigning. He is sovereign. He is over everything. But um, here's the deal, though. Have you ever had the thought, okay, how does his sovereign plan, his sovereign will, how does that interlink with, with my plans? How does it, do, do my plans affect him or do, how does this whole thing fit together? You ever had these kinds of thoughts like laying in bed at night wondering, okay, how in the world, what's my life going to look like 10 years from now, right? And so many of us have these different concepts of God. Some people wrongly think that we're essentially just robots, they think that God is like some master puppeteer, and he's just sort of pulling strings. Like every step that you take is God literally just pulling a string and helping you walk. I mean, like you don't feel it that, that way, but that's kind of what, how they see God's, God's will. They see God's will as just he's, him pulling strings and making you do, do certain things, and you're just a puppet. You're just a robot. You don't really have any true control over your decisions, because if you think about that, that could be a really convenient deal, right? Like whenever you mess up and be like, well, it's God's fault. Like God maybe mess up, right? But the problem with that, of course, is if you look at the scripture, it says that God can't cause anyone to do evil. God can't cause anyone to sin in that way. And so there's this weird deal with, um, 
a, a teacher of mine a while back, he said it this way, and it really helped me understand how God's will fits in here. And he said, there's, there's God's perfect will. This is what God wants to happen. This, is, this would be um, if everything went the way God initially planned it, that would be his perfect will. That means no sin, no fall in the Garden of Eden. That means everyone living in total harmony and unity. That, that's God's perfect will. But there's also God's sovereign will. These are the things that God allows to happen. So obviously God has allowed sin, otherwise we wouldn't have sin. But at the same time, God didn't cause sin. So if you think about that for a moment, your brain might explode. I understand that. But if you think about God's will in two regards, there's God's perfect will and there's God's sovereign will. There's what God wants to happen and there's what God allows to happen. And so it's not God's perfect will for you and I to sin. But God's sovereign will has allowed sin to exist for a time on this earth. So if you think about it in those terms, it kind of makes a little bit more sense as we think through what is God's plan and will for our lives. So you guys are um, between the ages of 14 and 18 years old. And so I want you to literally in your brains or your iPhones or your your some paper at your disposal at your tables, write this down today because I want this to be something you take away from here and go, all of my decisions need to come in line with what we've talked about this morning, okay? So you ready? Um, we're going to look at uh, uh, some passages here as a group in a few moments, but in the next few years, you guys are going to make some of the biggest decisions of your lives. What school to go to what career you're going to choose, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live. I mean, all the things that you will do in the next 10 years are going to send you on a course, many of you for the rest of your life, for good or for bad. And so you've got some humongous decisions just around the corner. Some of you guys are graduating, and like, if you're a senior, raise your hand. A lot of seniors had some prom last night, I think. So yeah, a couple of you were here this morning. Um, so this is going to affect you sooner than maybe the others, but they still affect everyone in the room. So um, here's the deal, though. When you're thinking about questions like, where should I go to school? You can't necessarily just crack open the Bible and say, like, okay, God, where should I go to school? I'm going to flip the pages until I find out where I should go to school. I mean, you might land on a passage that's talking about sacrificing bulls on the altar, and you'll be like, well, I guess I shouldn't go to UT because that's their Longhorns. Um, so you you can't you can't treat the Bible like a good luck charm. Like, okay, where should I go to school? Who should I marry? You can't treat the Bible like a good luck charm. And so many of these decisions are going are, are to require like great wisdom, you praying, you discerning God's will in these areas. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to divide up some passages, and we're going to do it this way. We're going to start at this side of the room. And uh, you guys will take Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. So these three tables and the one that's empty back there. All you empty people there at the back, you'll take Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. And you're going to um, just hang tight for a second. I'll, I'll give you an instruction in just a minute. And then the tables that kind of go this way, these three tables right here, you guys will take chapter 15, verse 22. And then the tables that are right here going this direction, you guys will take 16 verse 3, and then the 
the tables that are right over here go in this direction. You guys will take two verses, 16 verse 9 and 16 verse 33. And then the last table kind of there in the back, you guys will take chapter 19 verse 21. Everyone have their passage that you're supposed to look at? Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to do your questions one through four at your tables, and that will include one of the questions about your passage. So go ahead and do your discussion questions now. Discussion sheets? Do you guys all have discussion sheets? Okay, good. Okay, I recognize that I didn't give you guys, um, some of you guys had pretty difficult verses to look at, and you're going, how does this relate to God's will? What in the world am I supposed to make? How can I make sense of this? So my, my, my hope is that you squirm a little bit, and trying to figure out what some of this stuff means so that you'll be even more tuned in to what God wants to say to you through these verses. So here we go. We're going to kind of run through these five verses fairly quickly so I can get to the end and give you some application to think through as you think about how to discern God's will for your life. So the first passage was chapter 11, verse 3. And we'll go to the slide where, there we go. Um, and I want to let you see, like, there's a point I want you to get out of each passage. So I'll put that at the bottom there in bold so you can't miss it. Write this down, memorize it, know it, and hopefully it will, it will lead you and guide you. Uh, so chapter 11, verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So what it's saying is that when someone has integrity and character, when they're this kind of person, that character and integrity is going to guide them through life, right? So everything about life is not just about, oh, please, someone tell me what to do. Please, someone, just give me an answer. Should I choose this or should I choose this? Because if you're a person who fears God and you've got in- integrity and character, that character and integrity is going to help guide you through decisions, You're not going to always have to have someone else just tell you what to do because you're going to know out of your own character and integrity which decision is the best one to make. So character can guide our plans. Most people have this mindset, okay, should I choose A or should I choose B? Character is more important than your choices. I'm not referring to sinful choices. I'm referring to just choices in general. If it's neutral choice, A or B, and neither one's sinful, then I would say this, character is way more important than just your choices. And if you have good character founded in the fear of God and a surrendered life to Christ, then you will make good decisions because you're that kind of person. So I want you to get that just right out of the gate. Character guides our plans. Now, uh, next verse is chapter 15, verse 22. And this verse says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. A fairly straightforward passage. But here's the deal. Plans need counsel. Plans need counsel. If you are someone who walks through life and you never ask anybody else that you respect what they think about your plan, whatever that plan may be, then you are proving that you're a prideful person who doesn't have the humility to get counsel from other people. Right? Right? You are showing everyone else that you are too prideful to go and ask their opinion on anything. Now, I would say this. Before any of you ever step into a dating relationship, 
before any of you decide what school to go to, what career to choose, who to marry one day. If you don't surround yourself with people that you respect, that are older than you, have more life experience than you, you've got to surround yourself with those kinds of people to get counsel. Otherwise, your plans will fail. Your plans will fail, especially in these life-changing type decisions. If, if you enter into a relationship with someone and everyone around you is saying, hey, this girl, she's a loser. Don't marry her. She doesn't love Jesus. She, doesn't, she wants nothing when it comes to like a walk with Christ. And, and you're going to tune everyone out and say, no, no, I know what's best for me. I'm going I'm to continue on with this relationship. And everyone else is shouting at you saying, no, don't do it. If that's the scenario in which you enter into a marriage, it is doomed from the beginning. And I will promise you that. I will promise you that. So plans fail without counsel. The next passage is uh, 16 verse 3. And it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And very simply, plans need prayer. Plans have to have a saturation of prayer. Before you make any big decision in your life, you've got to carve out specific time to go spend time with God, seeking him, seeking out his will. And what he will ultimately do for you is he will bring about a peace in your life that makes you think, yeah, this, this seems like in my spirit, I sense that this is the direction that I should go. I'm sensing a real peace as I think about this direction in my life. Prayer gives you clarity and also gives you confidence as you make your decisions throughout life. I think of all the different little turns that my life took. If you don't know already, I'm not from Texas. I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Virginia, close to Washington, D.C. And, and so when I uh, ended up in Texas, I won't tell you the full story. It's a long story. But there was a point at which I decided to move to Texas, and there was a point at which I decided to uh, pursue ministry as a job, what I'm currently doing now. There was a point at which I decided to pursue Courtney, my wife, and, and ask her to marry me. So these were major, major, major decisions. And there was a point at which I felt like this is the direction I feel like God's leading me in. I prayed about it a lot, saturated those things with prayer. And I felt like God was saying, yeah, I think, I think this is okay. And I would, I would move forward in those decisions with a great peace because I'd spent some time praying through those, those kinds of decisions. One of the things that I would do is this. I'd get to a point where I would say, okay, God, I think that this is your will for me. I think. I'm not positive, but I think this is your will for me. And I'm going to begin to pursue this. And, God, if this is not your will for me, then please stop me. Please stop me. Okay? So this wasn't, it wasn't a sinful decision. These were very just neutral decisions, right? But I really felt strongly compelled to pursue these things, and I felt like I need to say to God, God, please put something in my path to keep me from making these decisions if these are not your will. That is a prayer that I think God will answer if you pray that to him. It's not like he's up there going, all right, I want to make your life miserable. I want to see you fail, right? That's not his, his plan for us. If you're submitting your life to him and submitting your plans to him, I think that he wants to answer those, those questions for you. So, so plans absolutely need prayer. The next passage is uh, chapter 16, verse 9, and 16, verse 33. 
And here's what uh, both of those passages say. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You're like wondering, what does that mean? What in the world is he talking about? The main point I want you to get from these two passages is this. Your plan and God's plan, they work together. Your plan and God's plan work together. So while you are walking through life and while you're working your plan, God is also working his plan many times, and you have no idea what he's doing in the midst of your plan. I would say it this way. As you make plans throughout your life, you just think you're just deciding, you know, okay, I'm just deciding what school to go to, or I'm just deciding what career to choose. That's kind of how you see it. You just see it as this very, this, okay, I, w- I want to choose what school to go to or what career to choose. But while you are making your plans, verse uh, 9 says that, what is that? Is that a car? Are you serious? That's really your car alarm? I thought it was like a bird chirping out there or something. I was like, it's not a very intimidating car alarm. I think I'd be, I would have stolen the radio by now if I was the guy breaking into that car. Um, okay, so I digress. Back to our point here. Uh, so in verse uh, 9, I really can't say anything until he's turned that thing off. It's just going to distract me. Okay, it's gone. Good. <clears throat> I'm glad for that. Okay, so, um, so now we know that his alarm works. That's a good thing. Uh, okay, so uh, in verse 9, he is saying that as you make your plans, as you make your plans throughout your life, the Lord is establishing your steps. So in other words, as you make plans on, okay, what school should I go to? What, what job should I choose? What career should I choose? That while you're making those plans in your life, that God is walking you in. Listen, listen. God is walking you into situations and things that you have no idea about. No idea whatsoever. So as I'm making plans to come to Texas, as I'm making plans to pursue ministry, as I'm making plans in those areas, as I made this, I made plans one day to go to a restaurant. Just making plans. The whole time, God is literally guiding my steps to meet my wife in the middle of those plans that were just mine. And completely, I had no idea. I had no idea. So as you are making decisions right now to go to college, to pursue careers, in the middle of that, God is literally walking your footsteps towards people and places that are going to become significant to you and become powerful movers in your life, possibly a husband or a wife, people that will lead you to a certain job, a certain career that you never would have put yourself in, never would have put yourself in. And then in verse 33, it's confusing because you're like, what in the world is this thing called the lot? What is the lot? This was ancient version of casting die, rolling the dice. And what they would do is sometimes they would take dice or something like that, and they would literally just throw out the dice, say, okay, we have a decision to make. We don't know what to do, so let's roll the dice, right? And you might think that's so not spiritual. How can you... How can someone do that? But if you look at Scripture, they actually, believe it or not, when Judas went out and hanged himself after uh, surrendering, after uh, betraying Christ, they were looking for a 12th disciple. Do you recall how they chose that 12th disciple to replace Judas? They casted lots, right? And we're all going, that's, 
that's just wrong. How could they should have prayed about it first? How could they do that? But they 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 cast lots and said, "Okay, it's going to be you." Other guys going, "That's a bummer, right?" But here's the deal: even those lots, do you think God those things somehow escaped God's sovereignty? Do we think even those things somehow God didn't have sovereign control over those things? So here's what that means, is that whenever you lose monopoly, it was God's will, right? Right? So now you're like, now, it, now I'm really depressed because it was God's will that I lost. Now I really think, now I'm really bummed out and depressed about that, right? So every, literally, every soccer game that you lose is God's will. God's will. He allowed it. He allowed it. So here's the deal, though. How does this change? Listen, nothing is random or chance. How does this change how you view God when certain things happen to you, right? Because if you see him as sovereign and ultimately in control, this changes how you respond to him. You don't respond to him in anger, but you respond to him out of a, okay, I guess that must have been him guiding my steps. And guys, please keep it down over here, please. Your table is a disaster, by the way. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. Um, verse, uh, chapter tw- uh, 19, verse 21, it says this. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And the main point from this passage is this. Write this down. Hold your plan with an open hand. And I did not mean for that to rhyme. It just worked out that way. Hold your plan with an open hand. Now, listen to this. God's plan, listen to me. God's plan never loses to your plan. God's ultimate plan never loses to your plan. It's not like God is up there going like, oh, man, you totally ruined it. You, to- you chose A&M? Okay, now gather the angels around. Let's just kill him. He's ruined. Right? Like that's not, that's not how God operates, Right? Now, it's true, it's true, you can, you can ruin things by choosing sin. I'm not talking about sin this morning, I'm talking about choosing neutral things, A versus B, things that are equally not sinful, but here's the deal, you can't, your plan can't ruin God's plan, right? As long as you're doing what I'm telling you to do here, you're seeking him, you're seeking counsel, you're seeking through prayer, you're doing all these things, your plan can't lose to his plan, but hold your plan, so With that in mind, hold your plan with an open palm. You should hold his plan like this, with an open palm and not like this, okay? If you're holding God's plan, your plan like this, you will be angry at God when he takes it from you. And I don't mean your iPhone. I mean his plan, your plan. And so hold your plan with with an open palm. Now, Here's one thing that I want to say about how to apply this idea, because I think this really gets a lot of us, especially in our youth, um, in, the, in your younger years. Here's what I would caution you against. Don't just think you know God's plan for you in a certain area, and then just go and announce it to everybody. What I mean by that, here's an example of that. So um, let's just say, I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, um, I was in a youth group much like this one, a lot smaller though, and 
um, we'd be on a retreat somewhere, and there would be uh, usually a campfire, bonfire, and there's that moment where the youth pastor, like, really manipulates your emotions, you know? And someone's playing a guitar, and someone is, and he starts saying things like, you know, if you would like to come to know Christ, then, um, then come down here and pray with me. And then if no one comes down there, then he would say, well, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ, then, then please come down here and pray with me. And if no one still comes down, he'll say, if you feel called to surrender your life to full-time ministry, then please come down here to the front. And there would always be like one or two that would be like, start to walk down and, and start to, you know, walk forward during that time. And that was never me. I was never the guy that was like, yeah, I feel called to full-time ministry. You know, that was never my plan initially. I love it now, but it was never what I saw myself doing for the rest of my life. So, um, but here's the funny thing about that. Every single person that said that in high school that I knew, they said, yeah, I feel God's calling me to missions, or I feel God calling me to, to full-time ministry. Um, and they made this pronouncement to like 20 of their closest friends I don't know any one of those people that's currently doing that today. I don't know one of them, not one, okay? So I'm not saying you shouldn't say, okay, I feel God lead me in this direction. I'm just saying you might want to keep it sort of hush-hush until you have kind of lived out your life a bit and, and sought God's will because here's what you might do. You might actually think to yourself, okay, I've told 20 of my friends this, but now I feel God calling me to do this, and they're going to think I'm a liar. So... I must continue in, on this pathway. Otherwise, they're going to see my call back in high school as a, a big fake, right? Another way this gets us is in relationships. Because um, I have seen people, I'll tell you a quick story. You guys know, um, you guys met, if you did Impact last year, you saw met my friend Simon, right, uh, at Impact Camp. He spoke to us at Impact Camp. And uh, I first met Simon on a mission trip. I went to, on a mission trip to Zimbabwe, which is way in southern Africa. And that's where Simon grew up. And we were working with his church in Zimbabwe. And uh, he and I became uh, friends very quickly. But we met him on that trip. Um, But then a few months later, he decided to come to the States and actually live with us and go to school in Dallas and work at our church. But before he made that decision, here's what happened. There was a girl on our trip with us in Zimbabwe. And on that trip, she apparently, she tells the story later on. She apparently saw Simon for the first time, and the first thought in her mind was, that's my husband. That's my husband, right? She tells her close friend, and then we get back to the States, and this rumor is going around where every, like, 25 people know this story now, right? And she's like, I think I met my husband. And everyone's going, you're kind of crazy, right? Well, then here's what happens. Simon then decides to come to the States and study. So everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it really is God's will, right? And everyone's freaking out. I mean, it was like this massive story, like in our little circle of friends. It got so crazy that when Simon got here, there started being people, like friends of hers, that would start kind of, you know, feeling things out like, you know, so uh, do you see anyone here that might draw your attention? And Simon's going, not really, right? And it got so bad that at one point, this girl's mother, because she knew the story as well, she starts getting involved, and she starts, so Simon, why don't you come over for dinner, and, uh, and we can hang out, literally. So, so me, as his friend, 
and Simon go to their house for dinner, and I know the whole backstory. I'm sitting there going, this is crazy, right? And, and Simon has no clue, no idea. And, um, and so um, it was awkward, to say the least, on my end, but Simon's just kind of living life. And then he finds out literally a couple of years later after he's already serious with someone else, she's serious with somebody else, and it was like this big conversation that kind of had to happen, and he finally was able to say, thank you, no, right? No, thank you. And then he moved on, and then she moved on. But literally for three and a half years, this girl, she hung on to this idea that this is my husband. This is my husband. Now, listen, I know that God works in all kinds of ways, and I'm sure he found some way to use that sin in her life, in his sovereignty, to to, to somehow grow her and sanctify her. But I will caution you against you making these pronouncements about what you think and know God's will to be for your life in certain areas because you don't know. You don't know for sure. You're not sure about that. And so there are times where you won't know God's will until you actually get there, right? And so I think it's okay for you to pursue a plan, but you've got to hold it with an open, an open palm. Now, to close that, I want to get three points to you, and you guys will discuss some more in a moment. Um, here's the question. How do we make sense of God's plan? How do we make sense of God's plan? This first point is really spiritual. Sometimes you just need to make a decision. You just need to make a decision. I know it sounds really crazy that I'm saying that, but sometimes you just have to go ahead and choose. If it's a neutral choice, it's not a sinful choice. You've got to just choose. Okay, I like, I like this. I'm going to choose this. Right? So when you're, when you're choosing a college, for you seniors in the room or juniors in the room, when you're choosing a college to go to, at some point you have to say, you know what? Yeah, I've prayed about it. I've sought counsel. It really comes down to these three schools. The question is, which one do I like better? That sounds really unspiritual, I know. But at some point, you've just got to make a decision. Because like I said, your plan will never defeat God's plan. God's sovereign. God's got his plan. You don't know how he's going to work. He's walking your footsteps into things that you have no idea about. No idea about. And at times, you just need to make a decision. Make a decision. You notice how um, most of us tend to get paralyzed with these big decisions of life, don't we? But we never seem to get paralyzed with the small decisions. Like, you don't ever go to a restaurant and the person says, do you want queso or salsa? And you're like, I don't know. Let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. I don't, what do you think? Should we get queso or salsa? Well, I don't know. I mean, if we get salsa, then as the waiter's walking to our table, he might drop it and it might hit the floor. And then a girl might fall and slip on that. And that might be my wife. I don't know. I mean, maybe we should get salsa, right? You don't ever sweat these small decisions. You just simply go, what do I like? I like queso more than salsa. I'm getting queso, right? So in the same way, why do we tend to sweat some of these decisions that are, yeah, they're bigger decisions. I get that. But when it comes down to it, it's a matter of what do you want to do? What do you like? What desires has God placed in your heart? What desires has he placed in your heart? Make a decision. The next thing is this. If you're following Jesus, you will begin to desire his plan. If you're following after Christ, 
you will begin to desire his plan for you. All right? If you do all the things I've talked about up to this point, you've prayed about it, you've sought counsel, if you're following after Christ, you put your life in his hands, you will begin at some point to desire his plan for you. Some of you guys will end up doing things in life that you never envisioned. You will end up being pastors or missionaries or other kinds of vocations. You will do things that you never thought you would ever do. I never dreamed I would be doing this on a stage every Sunday morning. I was the kid in the youth group where my youth pastor said, hey, I want you to give a testimony. I wanted to go to the bathroom and throw up. That was me. And now look at what I I do every week, and, and God just somehow gives me the strength to do that. You have no idea what he's going to lead you to do. The next point is, uh, the last point is this. God is always working his plan. God is always working his plan. I want you to hear me this morning on this. Look at, look at me. No matter how distant God seems, he is always working his plan. Always. He never takes a time out. It's not like he's sitting there going, all right, I've worked for you on, for 15 years, so I'm just going to give you the next five years to kind of just simmer, and uh, I'll get back to you in about five years. God's, God's always working his plan. He's always working his plan. No matter how distant he seems to you right now, he's always working his plan. Remember the story of Joseph? We're doing Joseph right now during Impact, and you guys are familiar with the story. Joseph, everything goes wrong in Joseph's life. I mean, he's sold into slavery. He goes to a different country. He's separated from his family. Everything goes wrong in his life on the outside. For years and years and years, he has no clue what in the world God's even doing. And he stays faithful and loyal to God. And then because of those bad things that happen to him, God's will is somehow fulfilled. God brings about the fulfillment of his will. And he had no idea until it was all came to fruition what God was even doing. So don't ever think you'll be able to figure out, completely figure out what God is trying to do in the midst of your current circumstances. So I want you to go ahead and finish out by, by discussing the last three questions at your table. So go ahead and discuss and then pray when you guys are finished out, all right?